0: Welcome to Otherworld. I'm your host, Jack Wagner. When I first read the description of the story you're about to hear, the person who sent it in said that they were inspired to reach out after hearing a very specific episode of the show. And when I read their story, I was positive the episode had to be The Fog. It was a recent episode that we put out, and his story was so similar in so many ways. But when I interviewed him... I was surprised to find out that he's never heard that episode. He was in fact reaching out after hearing an episode called The Birthing Tent, which is generally quite different than the story he wrote to me about in the email. Specifically in that episode, near the very end, there's a part where multiple people describe visiting a place while astral projecting, a place they describe as a green valley full of tents filled with thousands of excited people who seem to be waiting for something. Two of the people I talked to described being in one of the tents and being shown footage on screens of births happening. And one of the people in that episode said that that tent is a place where souls get to experience life and understand it before they either begin or end life. I know this is very trippy, I'm very well aware of this. Uh, It's a bizarre thing to say out loud, but that's what the episode is about. He heard that episode in the description of this place, and he told me that it sounded nearly identical to some place that he's also been to. As you probably guessed, this is a story that involves a near-death experience. Sometimes near-death experiences are abbreviated as NDEs, and these happen to people who either die and are revived, or come so close to death that they describe the experience of passing on. This is probably one of my favorite topics, and it's one that occasionally gives me great comfort, especially stories from people who did, in fact, medically die and then come back. It's also a topic that I wanna cover a lot more in the future of this show. People with a materialistic view of the world and the majority of mainstream science believe that when we die, that's it, lights out. When our brain turns off, the power goes out and it all stops because consciousness, the way we understand life, our ego, all of it is a creation of the brain. However, when we do get to hear from that very rare group of people who have died and then come back, they often say that it was not lights out. In fact, sometimes these people experienced something very profound. They went somewhere else. And sometimes, they felt as though weeks or even months or years have gone by, even though they were only gone for a few moments. This episode is from somebody who experienced something like that, and I'm very fascinated in what happened to him after he briefly died and then went into a coma. This is episode 69. The title is The Valley, and you're listening to Other World. <laughs> Hello. Is this Bobby? Yes, it is. At, at its core, the science, you can't argue with. A story about all the science.
1: up in the sky.
0: It's almost frustrating that it's happening. am I'm, yes, I'm gonna just, okay, well. going to die. It's limbs were just like wrong. Everybody
1: moves back into the light, even if it takes them a minute. My name's John. Uh, I'm 39. I'm from Cape Breton Island. Um, so that's the um, northeastern tip of Nova Scotia um, on the east coast of Canada. And I guess back in third year university, I started to have um, some pretty crazy um, health stuff uh, start happening. I had like a pretty uh, pretty hopping like, music career at the time. I was uh, playing in bands and I... Um, Toward the country a couple times, and we we were Canada famous, like not not uh, probably not something that like people down in the states would ever uh, know about. But we were like doing really good for for up here, and I was you know uh, grinding that out and going to university at the time. I studied uh, computer science and mathematics, so always a very always a very science kind of. Logical kind of guy. I love traveling. I love getting to see the country. Um, when you kind of grow up in a small place, you know, small town, you know, the chance to get to Toronto or the chance to get to Montreal or, or you know, one, and see one of these like big cities is always like such a such a rush. Yeah, I miss it. Uh, uh, it's it's one of those things where. Um, I I haven't played a show since I think, I think I played last in like 2014, um, opened up for uh, Steve Earle. I'm, I'm really into that kind of like, you know, outlaw country kind of stuff. So it was really wild to have that experience. I've always had kind of some health issues growing up, just minor things, you know, like um, asthma and allergies and that kind of thing. And, it kind of started pretty gradual where I started to have very um a lot of difficulty eating. um I would sort of you know have a have a couple bites of food and and I'd be full um, and then it kind of progressed from there uh to where it was very difficult to eat anything and then it progressed even further where it was very difficult to even drink uh water. I think I maybe developed a little a little bit of a hesitancy to you know go see a doctor at the right time you know I, so i I let this thing kind of prolong probably longer than what I should have um so basically I was home, I think it was Easter break uh, my third year university, and I I hadn't been eaten, uh, God, probably weeks, and I was having really difficulty drinking. And I don't—I think I stopped drinking. I, I don't know how long that went on, but basically, I—I I collapsed. I just—I <laughs> pushed this thing as far as it could go, and I uh, fainted <laughs> in front of my mother. And Basically, woke up in the hospital that day, and uh, the doctors had no idea, you know, what was going on. And so they were, started to kind of run through these, uh, I guess the first line of, of just, you know, process of elimination kind of thing. And, and we're like, oh, you know, it's, it's, um, it must be this thing, you know, acid reflux or something like, uh, so take these, take these meds and come see us in a little bit. And they didn't do anything. Um, couldn't even, couldn't even get them to go down basically. So I couldn't even drink, uh, cause I couldn't even drink at this point. And, um. Ended up back in the hospital a couple of days later, and um, had to see some specialists. And basically, they uh, concluded that I probably had a condition. It's a word I've never heard before. Um, that point, it's it's called achalasia. Um, so it's basically your um, your esophagus becomes paralyzed um, in this weird weird way that. Um, Doctors still don't really know what the cause is. They they kind of like they know like what what's happening to you, and um, basically it's a neurological thing where the nerves that kind of you know work everything in there. Basically, when these nerves stop working, um, the bottom of the esophagus just closes up. So that's basically um, where I was at. Cape Breton's pretty small. It's it's very rural. There is like a hospital, but the equipment's not great. The you know access to you know more modern stuff isn't great. So they basically gave me this prognosis that I would need to have this extremely uh, risky surgery um, to treat this thing, um, which was rough to take at the time um, third year university and you're kind of um, you know you're looking to just kind of get started in your career within the next couple of years and stuff you know and the prognosis was basically you know uh, you're going to have this major you know oh, basically the same process as like an open heart surgery um, pretty nasty stuff you know they, they kind of you know pull the pull the ribs apart and go in um, so we, as a family at the moment, sort of decided like um, let's let's get a second opinion like outside of Cape Breton. So we pushed to try and see uh, doctors in Halifax, which is sort of the um, capital of Nova Scotia. We managed to kind of push our way in with a doctor who's basically the head of. Research at the um, Dalhousie School of Medicine, which is sort of one of Canada's you know larger uh, research universities, and he's basically uh, has a bit of a different opinion. He's like, okay, we should you know I I, I don't you know he's doesn't recommend we go straight to the surgery, and he basically recommends that we try a bunch of different other treatments first to see if we can. Get some functionality back um, before we go this surgical route. and that kind of starts this like <laughs> this like uh, you know really long drawn-out process of kind of hopping between all these different experimental treatments and you know minor procedures and stuff just to try to um, get some functionality back and, and basically long story short, is just nothing nothing works. And so that goes on for. Probably longer than it should have. Uh, years. It was like three or four years. I can't remember. Um, and so, basically, we exhaust every option, and then we're back at the surgical sort of procedures as being sort of the only route that we can take. But by this time, the the surgery is a little different. So it's um, there was actually kind of advancements in this area where they can sort of perform the same procedure, but, but have it be less invasive. You know, we, we decide that that's the route we're going to take and then we schedule it. And just because of, um, it's kind of a smaller province. Um, There's not too many surgeons that are performing the surgery. It's, Almost another full year is when my surgery date is supposed to be. It was like 11 months or 12 months or something like that. So in this time, again, I'm, I'm just declining. I'm just like getting, you know, skinnier and skinnier, weaker and weaker and everything else. Um, and I'm just, I'm in and out of, you know, the emergency room uh, almost every couple of weeks, just... Just because yeah, just just was failing. And so they decide that like I can't, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna survive the, the full year. Um so around like the seven month mark, they are basically like, okay, we need to do this surgery like this week, basically. So because of that, it gets just slotted in uh at the end of a day, um, just like basically, you know. Pushing this, you know, emergency room and and operating room team to work overtime, basically. Uh, So um, on an emergency basis, they they basically you know slotted this this thing in. And man, it was such a such a crazy time. Um, It 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 all everything kind of stopped for me. Just like I obviously couldn't play music. I had to drop out of school uh, temporarily. Uh, or like put it on hold at least. I, I just I didn't know what like the future was going to be like. I didn't know like you know because they're they're telling you how risky the you know these surgeries are. You know it's it's major major work and you know at first you don't even know if you're going to make it out the other end. You don't know like how strong you're going to be, like what what you're going to be capable of right away. Are some things just over? Um, So it's a lot of just being scared, like being scared about, like you know, (laughs) is this are all my plans done, or or can I, you know, manage to, um, you know, find a way around this? At the same time, I'm just like I'm kind of wasting away, like, and so it's a bit of a blur because I was just really unwell and I'm not doing anything other than waiting, and. Because I can kind of get a little obsessive, like I was, I pretty much convinced myself that something was going to go wrong. I was really preparing myself for that, and that's basically what happened. Was a worst case scenario. So it's it's all a bit of a rush because they say it needs to happen immediately, and it basically does. I I almost have no time to really like prepare for the moment because it's. Happening within 24 hours, so I, I, I'm supposed to have one more night of sleep, but I, I can't sleep. And then around noon, because it's going to be at the end of the day, so it was around noon. I went in for for, for prep. I go from being myself and, and having all my belongings on me to to wearing these, you know, <laughs> these robes, basically. Um, and then I sit for a while. I sit for a really long time with, the, with these robes and, and in this kind of like special section of the hospital. And, and I just kind of prepare myself. I, I, just, I just sit and I wait. Uh, no one's allowed with me. My family's not there with me at this moment. I'm by myself. I wait for a really long time because I'm just being kind of like slotted into the end of the day. And they come and they get you, and there's like two nurses there with you, and they're kind of like, they, you know, there to kind of like comfort you a little bit. They wheel you into the Oprah operating room, and there is a dozen people, and they and they're they've got gloves and masks and all the stuff you would expect them to have, and. Um, all the tools and stuff weren't there. They were actually in the hallway and they kind of wheel you by those. And I remember kind of like being like, oh, like that's <laughs> that's the stuff they're gonna use. So they kind of walk you through and they, and they introduce you to everybody and give you the rundown of what to expect. Um, basically this uh, surgery is supposed to last, I think um, seven or eight hours. And um, they tell you, you know, um, in, in great detail about like what they're about to do. And then they kind of start to prep you and they put you out with a shot of something. And then also like a, like a gas. And I remember giving a thumbs up (laughs) as this like gas, as I'm like kind of breathing this gas. And they're like, you know, really breathe in deep and, um, and we'll see you, see you tomorrow, basically. And then it just, it just goes black. That's when I, that's when I woke up. I was in a, I was in a new place, but it wasn't like I, it wasn't the way like a dream would feel. Like I, like I, like I woke up, like that's the best way I could put it and it's a very it's a very strange place it's very like pastoral <laughs> i would say it's a it's a big field undulating field green green grass and it's kind of surrounded by mountains you know high mountains peaks you know with with snow on the top you know something you'd see in like a some sort of landscape painting and yellow flowers everywhere on the ground like daffodils I guess I don't know but just just this very serene place I'm 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 there on a camping trip uh, is the best way I could put it with with three other people that I had never met before or or since um, and all I could sort of gather from the experience at the moment was like, these were like family members. Um, I, to this day, I kind of say like, like wife and kids, but it was just like an understanding that this was like my immediate family unit. I had a a white t-shirt on and just like a white t-shirt and jeans. That's like a, I was never really like a fashion guy. So it was just like, that was kind of like me. It was uh, just like a t-shirt and jeans kind of guy. And it was like the same for them, just really plain uh clothing I think the 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 like in my head, the woman had on like a pair of khakis and just like a v-neck kind of like t-shirt like just like very normal I think we all just kind of had on you know a pair of pants and a and a really plain shirt nothing nothing fancy. If I had any artistic ability, I feel like I could both still draw this scene and I could draw all of these people. It's as clear as any memory would be. I mean, obviously, it's not as clear as a memory is what I had for breakfast today, but it's it's like that. It's slotted in my head in that way. Uh, There was a woman about my age... I'm assuming you know we we never it was never like oh I'm this age it was, age wasn't really like talked about um, but clearly someone about around my age uh, you know early late twenties early thirties kind of thing she had shoulder length blonde hair I'd say about like five six we were almost identical in height I, I'm a little shorter like I'm like five six and um, she she was. She was about five six we were about identical height, shoulder length blonde hair parted in the middle. Um, but there was this like intense like familiarity about her. Like I was familiar with this person. I just and in that moment it was like the familiarity was really intense but it's like looking back at it it's like who was this person? I, I, like I have no idea I can't I, I can't associate her with anybody in my past. Um, i have this like weird feeling sometimes that like i'm gonna meet this person um but in that moment there was like it's just like we knew exactly who each other were um but looking back you know after the experience i i still can't i can't place her um and same with the same with the the, the children the two kids I think the first thing I remember saying to her was like it's you know like it's finally like it's finally over like we're gonna we're gonna spend all this time together now um almost as if like you know I was retiring like yeah you know, it's just like oh I'm gonna make time more time for my family now it was sort of the was sort of the implication between, myself and the um the woman and there was two children um there was a daughter that was the youngest um also with uh blondish hair um not quite as blonde as the as the woman um and there was a boy they were around the same age but one was sort of I think distinctly younger, I would, you know, if I had to put a ballpark, it was, I'd say the the boy was probably age 10 and the girl was probably age 8. And the boy had short, dark hair in a very similar, like, haircut that I would have had when I was a child, which was like something that kind of just weirdly stood out. I was like, oh, it's, you know, his hair is like mine. <laughs> they just wanted to hear everything I had to say. Um... It started with, like, in reverse, like, me kind of saying what I'd been up to with, you know, very recently with all the health stuff. But it was, like, in the past tense. Um, it was over, you know? It was just like, oh, this is what I, I was going through this, and I went through this, and and it just kept kind of going. Like, oh, what did, what did you do before that? And um, it, it got into the music career and... and played songs and and like uh, oh what what you know what was what were you up to before that and, and kind of worked my way back like through talking about high school and how how things were and talked about ex-girlfriends and best friends and um just things I was into and um books I read and comics I was into, you know, a bit of a nerd and just (laughs) just kind of working my way back and just unloading. It was just like, I I was doing most of the talking. It it was like, it was like story time to hear about like what I had, I had been up to. Just like a real sort of openness to the relationship. And it was, it was like, we were reuniting, at, like after like a really long time, and I just remember a lot of it was sort of like just just telling them like what I had been through, and it was it went uh, um, this experience went on for like like weeks, maybe even months. It, it's hard to say because the like the passage of time wasn't sort of in the way that we would sort of record it or, or or notice it. Like the the sun never set. Like there wasn't like days. It wasn't like a cycle. It was just this constant state of like this of the scene. It was just this like one one long day. Like this one <laughs> humongous day that lasted for what felt like weeks or or maybe months. It's just really hard to kind of, kind of say. And it was, we were like camping. There were like, there was a, uh, there was like a trailer, like a pop-up, like tent trailer almost. Something you'd tow in with a vehicle, but there was no like vehicle there. It was just like, and it was like a kind of a, kind of a traditional campsite. Like there was, you know, stuff, like sleeping bags and there was a, f- a fireplace kind of like and it was just this like reuniting moment and sort of like catching catching them up on what I'd been up to um for the last my whole life and and you know a lot of people say how like oh like you know life flashes before your eyes before you die kind of thing but it wasn't like a flash it was but it was me sort of recounting everything it was just like they always—they just wanted to hear more. You know, I was telling them about playing music and how I like to write songs and and I, you know, played played music for them in a way that like I would never do. Like I, I always felt like it was easier to play in front of like a large group of people instead of a small, like intimate kind of group of people. But it was just like kind of running through stories and playing songs that I'd written and right back to me being in elementary school and and talking about things that happened and uh, things I regretted and things that stood out for me. And I was recounting my life, but I was also this like... (laughs) like a little bit of a better version of myself, you know, I was like, my skin was fine, you know, I, I, I especially in the winters, I kind of get like, you know, bad skin, my face breaks out and eczema and stuff. Uh, all that stuff wasn't there. That's like one thing that like stood out for me and still stands out. It's just like, for that like length of time or for that experience, I experienced like a different, a different version of who, who I am. Like, it was obviously me it was obviously my life and it was my body like i i was myself I think but there was no like it was just like a flawless version of myself I s- spoke better I always knew the right thing to say i there was no sort of hesitation with anything i wasn't I wasn't um feeling any anxiety or anything it was just very it was me but a uh, very open sort of version of myself, I guess, and um, that's one thing that stood out because, like, I was just in such rough shape. Like, I looked frail as hell, dude. I like, I was falling apart, and I wasn't that version of myself. I was, I was back to like a normal, healthy weight, and just yeah, no pain, no nothing. None of my, you know, like smaller conditions were there, and asthma, none of that stuff. You know, the the my my troubles with social anxiety and and stuff weren't there, and but you know, going into surgery, I I felt like I had the weight of the world on my shoulders. Like it felt like everything was over. You know, I I was pretty down. Like you you get pretty down when you um you know deal with major health stuff like that. And and I was I was a wreck, man. And then like just this worry, this like dread, just dread, you know, but like recounting all of that, it was like, it didn't matter at all. It was just a story. And, and they just were like happy to hear the story. They weren't like worried for me. They weren't like, they weren't being like, Oh, that's so awful. It was just like, what else happened? Like, it was just like, it, it was so insignificant and a They're not insignificant, but like it just like it didn't matter. It was just something I went through, and I wasn't going to have to go through it again. And and we were moving on to this like next, you know, chapter where like we were going to be together. And it was I was just kind of walking through all these like events that really felt heavy um, before this, but they like they didn't feel heavy. That's just the work I had done. I, I had work to do, and that was the work I had done and I'd done good work like that's what the vibe was almost like I'd done a good job like I which is something like I don't really you know I uh, I kind of struggle with this like I, I often feel like I haven't done much right like I let this kind of like health stuff kind of really or not that I let it, but it it defined me for a really long time i I struggled with like feelings of like um just kind of... You know I didn't really accomplish much because I had this you know roadblock. and uh, but in this moment, it was like I achieved exactly what I was supposed to achieve. And all of this was exactly what was supposed to happen. And it was just like, congratulations. like you did it. Like that's what the vibe was.
0: All right, we have to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with the rest of this episode. I've said before that I do not get scared while making this show, but what does scare me is having to log into my bank account or pay attention to my personal finances in any way. I know that's bad, and I know that it does not make sense, but legitimately what has recently helped me is using Rocket Money. It's a personal finance app that takes all of your accounts, organizes it into one place, and helps you get everything under control. I feel a lot better using it, and I'm no longer stressed. Also, Rocket Money finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. I'm not kidding when I say that I recently discovered that me and my graphic designer Colin were getting charged $150 a month by a design service we didn't even realize we were paying for. I wish that was a joke. Sadly, it's true. We canceled it and are no longer paying for this. Thanks to Rocket Money. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com/otherworld. That's rocketmoney.com/otherworld. rocketmoney.com/otherworld It's after bedtime, the kids are asleep, and the moms are out to play. We're Dina and Kristen, the duo behind the Instagram account, Big Little Feelings. I'm Dina. I'm a child therapist and mom of two who nerds out on all things neurobiology and psychology. And Kristen is a parent coach who wrangles three kids on a daily basis, here to give it to us like it is. We weren't meant to do this parenting thing alone. Consider After Bedtime your village. Follow After Bedtime with Big Little Feelings on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. I hate dealing with my cat's litter box. I'm pretty sure everybody else feels exactly the same way. If you don't, it's kind of weird. The less I have to think about it, the better. And I'm sure Merlin agrees. Sometimes I accidentally walk in on him while he's using the litter box and it's very embarrassing for both of us. He looks very vulnerable in there. I always feel terrible. Pretty Litter absorbs smells so well and lasts for so long that I could truly forget about it. I could go days without scooping it or checking in. He could do his thing and I don't have to worry about it. When I do clean up, it's very easy. There's no dust or smell. It's super simple. And of course, the litter changes colors to help monitor early signs of potential illness in Merlin, including urinary tract infections and kidney issues. Pretty Litter ships free right to my door in a small lightweight bag. I never run out of it. And I don't have to have a huge container of litter taking up space and stinking up the room. So, Pretty Litter keeps tabs on your cat's health and keeps odors down. I think you and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as me and Merlin do. Go to prettylitter.com slash otherworld and use code OTHERWORLD to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash OTHERWORLD. Use the code OTHERWORLD to save 20%. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
1: It was almost like a like a debrief you know it was very repetitive in a way but it was also just really freeing and kind of like it was just this really relaxed feeling of of just like like you, you were reuniting with you know people that were very close to you but you hadn't seen for your entire life I kept asking them when we're going to know I don't know what I was, in the moment, like, I knew clearly, like, but now I don't. Like, I don't know what I was asking them what we were waiting for. But I kept asking, like, when are we going to know? That's, like, one of the things that, like, kept coming up and up. And and it wasn't like I was, like, worried about it. I I just kind of kept saying, like, when do you think we're going to, like, find out? Um and the answer was always like soon you're going to like we're going to know soon it's, it's like it's fine but it, there was this feeling of like anticipation this feeling of like waiting and we were waiting on news for something it's just it was this anticipation I was just really excited to get this news for some reason and I was like I was like vibrating with the excitement about getting this news and I kept asking them and I, <laughs> You're like, are we gonna find out soon? Like, what do you think? Like, and it was always just like soon. Like, we're gonna know really soon. I don't remember eating. I don't remember going to bed. We were sort of mostly sitting around like a fire, and I, I can't even really remember if there was a fire. It's just like there was a like a place where a where a fire would have been. There was a lot of just like sitting and like holding hands and just kind of, like, watching. And and the other thing that really stands out is just this, like, distinctive, like, memory of, like, where I'm waiting for news on something and they, I keep asking them about it. And just talking about how we're going to spend our time in the future, like, a lot of, like, oh, you know, we're not going to be apart anymore. You know, we're going to get to be together now it's sort of like a blur in that way because it it was so repetitive it was it was just like story time and then just kind of middling about uh just kind of passing time almost waiting kids would be sort of running around just a lot of like chilling out and i i remember there was like other people that were in the space. Like, the um, it was this, you know, massive field. And I remember there was other groups of people there, all camping, but, like, we didn't interact with them. I only interacted with, with these three people. We never walked over to them. Um, they never walked over to us. Just sort of in this space space together for a really, really long time. It it felt like I was there for at least a month, maybe two months. But this is me remembering it, you know, in the past. Like, in the moment, there really wasn't any way to, to measure it. Other than the fact that, like, I pretty much... Described word for word my entire three decades of life um, to these people. That's really the only way that I have to measure the time is just the amount of time that we, like, talked and the amount of information I shared about myself. And that memory of, like, sharing that much information, like, now in the future, like I need to frame it in like the, the reference that I have now, like back in you know, like this experience. But there really wasn't any like it's like time didn't exist, like it's like time wasn't really happening. It, it's it was just a moment where all of this stuff was shared all at once, almost almost without break you know like almost um in one sort of continuous stream uh of experience i can only describe it in 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 the tools that i have now back in this experience and i think that's why it stands out as taking a really really long time <laughs> um but in the moment like it really is just this like one continuous experience and there's no real marker of 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 the passage of time it's like going on a vacation to the same town but like splitting up entirely and exploring the region separately and then coming back together and just recounting everything about what you had just experienced it felt like we were on very similar paths in a similar area and, and with a similar goal, but completely separate from one another and experiencing things on our own. And then at the end of the day, you come back to the hotel room and just let them know everything that you've experienced in that day. Only the day is decades and the area you're in you know exploring is is whatever this is, whatever we're doing right now, like whatever whatever life is, whatever whatever this experience is with you know time and, and age and, and all this and, and you go on this ride separately and have this experience, and then you meet up at the end of the day and 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 kind of unload this data and kind of share share what it was and then there's clearly something that happens after that um, or is is what it felt like, and we were waiting for whatever that was and yeah i had at this point gotten. Pretty far back through my life, <laughs> you know. Um, I have this like memory of this playground, and the playground had this like bridge, like a I I <laughs> I called it the rickety bridge. Everybody in my family called it the Rick- the playground with the rickety bridge, and that's always where I wanted to go as a kid. Was this playground with the rickety bridge, and it was you know one of those kind of you know when you're walking on and it kind of. You know, flows back and forth like i th- I thought that was the funnest thing in the world when I was like a toddler, and it's one of my f- earliest memories, and I remember telling them about the rickety bridge uh, and this like memory of like <laughs> just like running across this bridge to my mom um just probably the earliest memory I have in life, and that's the last thing I remember is like that's the last distinct thing i remember about this experience is sort of talking about that bridge and then it there wasn't like a goodbye anything it was just it went from that to being pulled pulled into darkness again and then waking up in the in the hospital waking up in this you know hospital bed and I kind of knew something was wrong like right away cuz it just wasn't how I was expecting to wake up. There was <laughs> there was more tubes than I expected. There was more people in the room than I expected. Essentially due to uh you know human error um for whatever reason um there was there was an incident like uh there was complications and an artery was uh, was severed during the during the operation early on in the operation, and due to how underweight I was at the time and how how sort of poor my condition was at the time, my my heart stopped. Um, I flatlined on on the on the operating table, and after I think a minute and a half. They were able to regain vital signs. And, but then the surgery still needs to happen. Um, So, this like, this surgery that was supposed to be like six or seven hours ends up being this like 12 hour, you know, major, major thing where it's like they need to stabilize and revive. And um, in order to do that, they need to kind of like, you know, basic, they had to induce me into a, a, a coma. Um, I spent the next three days in a coma. So I, I remember waking up into this like feeling of like, oh fuck, like something, something happened. Like something went wrong along the way. Because like my sister and like, just like people, that I didn't think would like have been there, you know. I, I knew like my parents would be there, and like I, I was, I, w- I had a girlfriend at the time, and I expected them to be there. But there was just way more people, and, and like way more doctors and way more nurses. And um, I remember, uh, <laughs> I remember my girlfriend at the time was kind of like. Uh, um, it's not Wednesday. It's Friday, I think, or or whatever you know, Saturday or however many days it was. And I was like, what do you what do you mean? And uh, And then it was just kind of a blur of like people talking and you kind of like I, I just it was like almost like a ringing in my ears like I couldn't I couldn't accept it because like I was still processing this like switch that happened and and they were trying to tell me things about like why it's Friday <laughs> why it's Friday and why there's all these people here and I'm trying to process like where did the people go that I was with like where 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 is this like what happened like who are, who are these people but it's it's also kind of flooding back too at the same time like it all kind of for for a few minutes it's this swirl it's just this rush of like what the hell happened who are you i couldn't remember my name it it all felt equally real but everything felt very unfamiliar it went from like being very familiar with these people to being surrounded by people and like I didn't really recognize anybody. I didn't recognize myself, even really. I took a second, but I knew that there was like an expectation that these people were waiting for me to recognize them, and it was just this like panic because it was just like like a light switch kind of like went off on one life and came back on on the other, um, and that's the transition in and out of this is like lights go out on one lights come up on the other i mean it wasn't that smooth as far as like familiarity and r- memory and stuff because i was i was locked in to this place and then i'm pulled back into this place still to this day is just the weirdest thing mm-hmm. It took a while. It took a while to kind of come to. And I can't remember, like, panicking a second. And, like, I I was really weak, but I was, like, trying to, like... I was trying to, like, pull the IV out of my arm and and just, like... Because I was like, what's going on? Like, why are you... Who are these people? Where am I? And people are telling me that, you know, there was complications. And I'm like, complications for what? Like, I think they had to, like... I think they actually had to like give me a little bit of like a um, like a sedative or, or I think it was maybe it was like the pain medication or something. Eventually I kind of like calmed down a little bit and that's when it kind of sunk in like I was like, "Oh, right. Right, I'm all fucked up." <laughs> and um, <laughs> I'm in the hospital and then uh, people had to repeat it a bunch of times that like y- you know, you were you've been out for a really long time. And it was kind of touch and go there for a second, and 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 I think that's when I start to like try to rationalize the experience that uh, you know, and that's when I start to kind of like do the work of like, oh, that was just a dream. Oh, that was just, even though it didn't feel that way, but that's just who I am. And I I just kind of like, man, those were some drugs. (laughs) That's (laughs) that's the conclusion I came to is like, wow, those you know, they must have been using some good stuff. That's because that was the only way I could kind of quantify and sort of organize everything. And that's where it stood for the longest time. And then I listened to that episode with Gabby and David, which was on astral projection or, or people's experience with, with astral projection. And when I heard David's um, description in the end of the Ten episode, he he, he mentions having a conversation with a, with an old man who, who tells him that all these people are in this scene. And he, he describes a scene very, very similar to what I would describe the scene as. It's um, a large green field in between two mountain ranges and, 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 and people tenting, <laughs> camping, like sort of milling about and... Um, tables and all of that like I that's exactly how I would describe it groups of people kind of experiencing the same thing like in my head it's just like we were all on some sort of trip and it kind of spooked me a little bit cause like uh, for a while I'd you know pass, passed a lot of this off I spent a lot of time just kind of being like oh you know it's uh, you know you're you're, you're under the influence of all these medications, you're in a coma, you're you're this, you're that, and you know, it's nothing, whatever. But when he said that, he spoke to someone who said that people were waiting to move on to the next place, it just kind of rocked me a little bit um, to the point where I, uh, it just kind of reawakened a lot of things. I've, I've been going over it in my head a lot lately and, and I, I don't know if this was, like... Everything about the scene seemed very intentional. Like, it was very, like, set up to be comforting. And I don't know, I struggle with, like, are these people I've met and maybe they're just, like their ideal versions of their selves and like and I just don't recognize them as being someone I met or if it's just like was part of the experience that was like like tailored for me like to, to sort of allow me to to sort of go through these events in my life. Or are they people I'm supposed to meet? Um, I kind of go back and forth. I mean, there's still a big part of me that's just wants to explain it away. Um, but I, I, um, I find that hard to do sometimes because um, just because of how distinct it is in my memory and um, And so like I don't know if these are like people I've met or if they were just parts of the experience t- to allow that experience to be the way it was. Were they constructions of my imagination? I, I-, I don't know. <laughs> hearing-, hearing somebody else kind of describe a very similar scene as a weird experience that, that kind of has brought me back to thinking about things again and... as as bad as the complications were during the surgery they still completed the work that needed to be done because of it kind of like changing from like a routine thing to a um sort of an emergency situation things are a little rougher so like i I've, i still have complications i still have like nerve damage and you know i've got like numb spots <laughs> where like you know some of this damage happened and Still struggle with like some pain from the surgery. I'll I'll probably have you know complications for the rest of my life because of it. But it has allowed me to sort of get healthy again. I've managed to you know kind of put my life back together. I I have a good job. I um, I have have a girlfriend now. Um, I'm just making. The best of it is is sort of where I'm at right now. Um, just, you never know what's going to happen, man. You never know how, how short things can be. You never know. So just live and uh, be as happy as you can. That's That's where I'm at. It's hard not to think that there's some element of consciousness after... An experience like that, like that persists past the medical definition of of death. There's still part of me that's like, oh, that's not logical. That's not, you know. But it's just hard not to come to that conclusion. I've always been sort of very materialistic, in in a way that like if this is all just you know evolution and. Uh, highly advanced you know brains with neurons firing and when death happens that's it's just you know blackness like that that was you know I've always been sort of an atheist and just science and logic and but it's 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 really hard not to feel like something continues past that moment where your heart is no longer pumping blood through your body. After experiencing something like this, and like hearing people that have had similar experiences, um, hearing other people talk about near-death experiences, and I've I've heard similar experiences of people not having a very similar experience to me, but having a an experience that closely relates to mine, and that it's like a debriefing, like um, that there's. Someone out there that wants to hear w- the work you did, um, and so just like hearing similar th- experiences um, sort of supports supports that that feeling, I guess. So it 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 does change my my outlook a little bit. It 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 really has lessened that fear of what of what happens, and it, and it has lessened. That feeling of like heaviness of like if you if you're dealing with like strife and you're dealing with like you know whether it's disease or 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 some other hardship in your life, um, knowing that or having that belief really kind of takes takes some of the takes some of the thud out of that stuff. I think if if I was dealing with these complications before having that kind of experience, I think it would really chew me up, you know, uh, just you know, feeling like you're, you know, damaged and, and all that kind of stuff. And but I just I don't really um, I don't really let that kind of take over anymore because cause, cause I, I do kind of like go back that moment and how it felt about me talking about some of the worst things that could happen to somebody or the worst things that have ever happened to me and how insignificant they were and how it was just like part of the plan. It was just part of what you were supposed to go and do that day. Like, uh, that's what it felt like. It just routine things that you think are, 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 the end of the world just aren't. And I kind of, I, I use that a lot just to, um, feel better about things. I mean, like, you know, life can get tough, like the world looks crazy sometimes. Like, it's just something that's in the back of my mind that uh, nothing, none of that really matters all that much.
0: Thank you so much to John for sharing this story. I had so many questions, thoughts, and ideas after hearing this one. And I'm sure a lot of you listening have some as well. I asked John many of them. And of course, he's just as puzzled as me. And he has his own long list of questions. One of the main things I kept coming back to is who is this woman? Who was she? And I know that was something that was really bothering him as well. I mean, I couldn't imagine going through what felt like such a long period of time with this mysterious person, somebody that feels like your wife, and then all of a sudden being sucked back in to find yourself dating somebody who feels like, almost like a stranger, and then having to forget this person who you don't even know. He told me that he had the impression that it would be her turn to share her life experience after he finished telling her about his, but he got sucked back into his life back on earth right before he got to the end of his story. This one gives me a lot of comfort even though it's such a strange story. The thing that really sticks out with me is John's description of how brief and beautiful his entire life felt from that perspective maybe there is something bigger out there maybe after we die we do get united with people we knew in this life maybe even others and maybe everything from your birth until death just feels like a roller coaster that you just got off of and you can't wait to tell these people about maybe it feels like you were only away from those people for a few minutes personally I think I like that idea a lot more than Lights Out. This has been episode 69. The title is The Valley, and you've been listening to Otherworld. Otherworld is executive produced and hosted by myself, Jack Wagner. Our theme song is by Coberman. The soundtrack of this episode is by Juice Jackal. The song you're hearing right now is Saw Light by the band Bonnie Dune. This episode was edited by Theo Krantz and engineered by Theo Schaefer Our artwork is by Cul-de-sac Studios Production help by Nikki Kate Delgado and Haley Pearson Please show us your support by subscribing leaving a 5 star review and telling your friends If you want to hear bonus episodes of Otherworld you can become a patron at patreon.com otherworld Our social media is at otherworldpod Thank you to the team at Odyssey J.D. Crowley, Jenna weiss Leah Reese-Dennis, Rob Morandi, Eric Donnelly, Matt Casey, Moira Curran, Josephina Francis, and Hilary Schuff. Follow and listen to Otherworld Now for free on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. And finally, if you or somebody you know have experienced something paranormal, supernatural, or unexplained, you could send us your story at stories at otherworldpod.com.